Welcome to The Portable Pastor, a podcast of relevant biblical teaching, linking ancient truth with today's challenges. Each week, Pastor Mike will share God's Word to help you and remind you that God is pro-you. So download the outline from fbcclover.life and get ready to hear today's teaching. Here's Pastor Mike. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for tuning in again today. Last week, we looked at Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and we learned that the church, the the disciples of Jesus, they were attempting to live missionally in their assigned circles of influence, but they were distracted. They were thwarted by these useless traditions and evil philosophies. We started the study on the importance of having a truthful, biblical worldview. And we define worldview as a pattern of ideas, beliefs, convictions, habits that help us to make sense of God, to make sense of the world, to make sense of our relationship to God in the world. And I explained that a worldview is a lens that we look through to interpret what we see. And that interpretation goes to our brain and it forms our worldview. That's what we use to understand thoughts and beliefs and values and and behavior in all of our all of our experiences. So we learned about the six competing worldviews that are that are you know at the very top of the list today in our culture: Christianity, Islam, New Age spirituality, secular humanism, Marxism, and postmodernism. And we learned that the top ten arenas in which those tick those six worldviews compete are. Theology, philosophy, ethics, biology, uh, psychology, sociology, law, politics, economics, and history. And we heard a warning about the dangers of poking holes in the worldview of others. Remember, it's like poking at a, a hornet's nest. Yeah, we we must learn to enter into these conversations carefully. We got to be truthful, but we need to do so with humility and with love. Our goal in this study is to shore up our understanding of those competing worldviews. We we have to stand for truth in this culture because the culture honestly is being dragged away in in a in an ever increasing success rate. I mean that's what's happening. This study is critical because the correct worldview will will help us to answer life's tough questions. It it'll it'll immunize us from the worldly uh, wrong uh, worldviews which which can spread like like viruses, and it'll also help us to be less tolerant of other worldviews opposing biblical truth that have irreconcilable differences. So I know that less tolerant, you know, doesn't sound like very a, a Christian idea, does it? So do, let me ask you this: Do you know who the least tolerant person to to ever live? Do you know who that was? It was Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life and no one comes to the Father but by me. That truth is fleeing our culture faster than small town gossip. Listen, I live in a small town. I know what it's like. Gossip is fast here. I've said it that you could sneeze on one end of our town. You can drive to the other, get out of the car, and someone says, I heard you have COVID. That's fast gossip right there. Truth is fleeting fleeing that fast. Listen, when a culture believes there's no such thing as absolute truth, they inevitably conclude that there is, there's no need for Jesus. Jesus. Jesus called himself truth. 
No truth equals no Jesus. No Jesus equals an eternal existence in hell. So you can choose, you can choose to live a lifestyle of tolerance and, and pseudo coexistence and, and yelling asinine phrases like live and let live and, and can't we all get along? But you better count the cost. You better count the cost because if you're wrong, you're going to have to be ready to stand before God the Father and answer for the sin of rejecting his truth or stand before Jesus, his master, if you belong to him, who will examine all of your motives in in that judgment seat of Christ. So truth is important. An accurate biblical worldview is essential. So today, let's look at that first arena, that that first battleground where the six competing worldviews are, are fighting for dominance, and that's the in, the in the arena of theology. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis 1-1. If you don't, if you're driving, like my buddy like my buddy Brian, if you're just driving, just drive, man. Don't read. Keep your eyes on the road. I want to see you on Sunday. But but everyone else, turn to Genesis 1-1. And while you're turning there, let, let me just fill you in on a few things. Theology is the study of God. We know people want answers. We know we they they want answers to questions like like numero uno and, and numero dos. They're, you know, is there a God and how did I and everything else get here? W- whether God is real or not is foundational to the worldview that you choose to connect to. Okay, the authors of our worldview reference uh, they wrote if if God does not exist, theology is a waste of time. If God does exist, though, everything else is a waste of time if it does not take theology into account. I have to agree with that statement. Those were some smart guys. They they wrote this book, Understanding the Times, a survey of competing worldviews. And they're Jeff Myers and David Noble. And I have to agree with them. And so does everybody else with a with a different worldview, which is why there's so much time and energy spent arguing over the existence of God. Look, Genesis 1-1 tells us clearly that there's a God and that he created everything. Look at it. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This teaches us about God. It says there is a God. There is a God and he proceeded creation. He was there before. He had to be there before because he made it. He was active in creation. He's the one that did it. He was the originator of creation. It came out of his brain. It came out of his desires and wants. And he is separate from his creation because he made it and looked at it. But it it tells us something about creation as well. Everything that we see has a beginning. That word created is the word ex nihilo in the original language, and that means to take to make something out of out of nothing. But the universe was made from nothing, and it was purposely designed. Growing details of 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 creation, they they prove that there's an intelligent designer, and the earth was an intentional life sustaining earth. According to the Bible, there could be no doubt that God is in fact real. And the creator of everything that he, that is. Look, that, that great theologian C.S. Lewis, he said that, that there are only three belief systems concerning God. There's theism. That's the belief in the existence of a God or a set of gods. There's pantheism. And that's the belief that everything in the universe is God. Everything is God. And then there's atheism. And that's the belief that, that God does not exist. There is no God. Now, we need to know what the top six worldviews believe about God. And you say, why? Why do we need to know that? Because of our, if, if you're a Christian, we have an assignment. 
We're attempting to have conversations with people in our circles of influence, our assigned circles of influence, by connecting the truth of God's word with the condition of the culture. And we need to know what they believe to make those connections. So what do those with differing worldviews believe? Well, secular humanists, they hold to an, an atheist worldview. When it comes to theology, secular humanism and Christianity are, are entirely incompatible. Secular humanists deify man. They believe nothing is, is a higher authority than man. Humankind is the elevated center of everything. There's no room for a higher being. There's no room for God in their understanding of the universe. These are people like like the, the late Christopher Hitchens, men like uh, Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins. Those are the top thinkers in this worldview. And, and they are all in atheists, and they take pride in being so. Now, old school atheists, they, they can't tell others to believe this way since every human is responsible for their own beliefs. So they simply refuse to take God into account. But atheists who are secular humanists, they're bold. They're outspoken. Bertrand Russell's one of them. He wrote in, in his book, Why I'm Not a Christian, the following in-your-face remarks. He said, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in God and in immortality. I don't think that Christ was the best and wisest of men. Those are, those are bold printed statements. <laughs> those were purposely written to people in a country that, well, until recently, was dominated by Christian beliefs and principles. You see, secular humanists elevate themselves. They, they think that those who believe in God are misinformed and, quite frankly, irrational. But a, a modern, thorough, consistent atheist will come to some hard conclusions, like the famous atheist Ernest Nagel. This is what he said. Atheism can offer no hope of personal immortality, no threats of divine chastisement, no promise of eternal recompense for injustices suffered, no blueprints for a sure salvation. And then he writes this about those conclusions uh, or this conclusion about those statements. A tragic view of life is thus an undeniable ingredient to atheistic thought. You recognize that's a tragic view of life. Secular humanists are atheists, and they have tragically believed that there is no God or that God has no bearing of how we got here. We are here, and tomorrow we die, the end. That's their belief. Now, Marxism, like secular atheism, holds to an atheist worldview as well. But unlike the secular humanists, they don't try to soften it. They don't try to reason with people with the other worldviews. The first premier of China said this publicly. We communists are atheists. He doesn't want anyone else in his country under communist rule to believe in anything but atheism. The Marxist tradition spouts that a supreme being, a creator, a divine ruler does not, cannot, and must not exist. Karl Marx became an atheist in college. He started believing that man created God in his own image, and he formed religions for, for the purpose of self-worship. But Marxism doesn't simply want to reason away the existence of God. It, it wants to eradicate that belief. It operates covertly in America. It has to now. Christianity is the founding biblical or the founding belief system of our country. So Marxists cannot just come out like they like they have in, in the past, right? So Marx, Marxists have to be very covert. And so they introduced it and repackaged it as, as liberation theology. That, that's a political movement in which Marxist 
they, they misinterpret the teachings of Jesus on purpose in order to liberate the have-nots from the cruel, overbearing, materialistic haves. Liberation theology is a way that they can use those wrongly interpreted commands of Christ to, to sway people. And why they want to sway people? Well, they really want to change the country's economic structure. They want to systematically change the whole country. But Marxism embraces atheism boldly and completely. There is no God, and then there, thus there's no part of a God in the universe's epic. Furthermore, there's no need to even discuss it. It's just fact. That's all there is. Now, postmodernists, they're, they're skeptical about God. It's hard to label postmodernists as atheists. I think they are, but it's hard to label them that because they refuse labels. I mean... They, they refused to, to pick a side. In ages past, the existence of God was thought of as a either yes, he's real, or no, he's not. But postmodernists, they base things on, on preference, on subjective standards rather than the objective ones. The, the, authors, the, the authors in the book, our reference book, they, they, they kind of compare this to the point that, you know, you might say, I prefer vanilla ice cream. You don't know why. You don't know how you got there. That's that's just that's just your preference. So that's the truth about you. And they apply that same standard to religion. There's no need to argue over whether God is real or if if He made everything. Whether you believe it is fine, as long as you understand it's your preference and possibly not mine. So their worldview concerning God, they would say, isn't atheism. It's not atheism, it's tolerance. It holds to indifference and uses phrases like, you do you, bro, let me do me. Live your truth, but don't force me to live your truth. Since, since they claim that truth can't be objectively known, they are in, ethos, in, in essence atheists. I mean, think about it. God's existence is a matter of a person's choice. Remember, Jesus said, I am the truth. Jesus said, I can be made known. But they are so purposely ambiguous that they won't be labeled, and they won't be labeled atheists. So they, they don't even attempt to have a say in the argument for the existence of God or the role in creation. They believe that, that they, have, they have no divine dog in that philosophical fight, which, of course, is atheism. Now, New Age spirituality, they, they, put, they put their faith in pantheism. New Age rejects atheism, it rejects theism, and embraces the belief that everything is God. I call it, just personally, I call it wacky weed-infused theology. I see these people sitting around, just in my mind's eye. I, I sit around and I think that they've been smoking marijuana. Dude, I just saw God in that store over there. And the other one says, no, man, he's over there. That tree is God. And the first one looks at him. Are you serious? Whoa, he's in you, bro. God is seen more like a, like an energy field, more more like more like a, a you know a cloud floating around, and, and it's just in, uh, enveloping everything. Now, now that can sound like Christianity sometimes because we say that God is everywhere, but this worldview is not Christian. There's there is no transcendent God who watches over the affairs of his, of his creation. He he is creation. Reincarnation is a big deal in this worldview because energy is not destroyed. It's only converted and it joins other energies. So everything with energy in this worldview will have a happy ending. 
Eventually, everything will rejoin other spiritual energy after it gets life right. And so that worldview can can neither define the person of God nor how the universe came into existence. Now, what about Islam? Well, Islam's worldview is one that is monotheistic. Okay, Islam believes there's one God. He is a creator, and he's going to one day hold humans to account before their actions. The Islamic God has 99 names in the Quran. The most prevalent one is Allah, and they believe he, he is the one and, and, and only person of God. Do you remember the sentence I told you last week about the phrase that they repeat uh, if they're serious about their Islamic faith? There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. They take this very seriously. If anyone refuses to believe what the Quran says about Allah is guilty of blasphemy. And the penalties for blasphemy, they include fines and prison and flogging, beheading. You know, they, they're, they're serious. Many people in our culture, because they're so serious, many people here try to appease them. They try to appease Muslims by saying that the God of the Jews and the God of the Christians, and that they're all the same God. And the God of the Muslims, they're all the same God. They just have different names. I got to tell you something, bro. That, that's not true at all. I'll show you why in just a moment. But they acknowledge a God, and they believe that he is a creator, but it's not the same God we worship. That leads me to the Christian biblical worldview of God. The biblical worldview includes a belief in Trinitarian monotheism. That is a mouthful. Trinitarian monotheism. That means that there is one God, but he's recognized as three separate and distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we hold that that God made everything. We have a belief that God made everything. We believe that there is one God recognized as three separate and distinct persons, right? We see that in the Bible. And, And he has chosen to reveal himself to us in three persons. Now, Jews and Muslims, they reject this. They don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They don't believe in his his deity, right? Muslims consider this belief to be polytheistic, meaning multiple deities. But but the truth is, we, we see in Genesis God creating and the Spirit hovering over creation, two separate beings, before creation started. We, we read in John 1 that Jesus made everything. We heard Jesus say himself, I and my Father are one. We heard God. We heard God say that he will not share his glory with anyone, yet he told us to baptize believers in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We see that the Bible teaches a triune God, three persons, one God. How that works? Dude, I don't know. I don't even have a clue. But if Genesis 1 is true and there is a God, he can make that work. I guarantee he can make that work. In fact, if Genesis 1-1 is true, then C.S. Lewis is on to something. Atheism can't be true because there's a God. Pantheism can't be true because God was and still is separate from creation. All that leaves is theism. There is one God. Two worldviews espouse theism, Christianity and Islam. And since the Islamic tradition states that Jesus was not God, but Jesus himself said, I am my father, I'm one. The Islamic worldview is faulty. So that leaves one, Christianity. Christianity is true and all the other worldviews are wrong if Genesis chapter 1 is true. Drop the mic, let God beat his chest and walk away. I told you all worldviews are opposed to the biblical Christian worldview. Well, how do you know Genesis 1-1 is true? I mean, how do you know it's true? 
that there is a God and that he made the universe. Well, just ask yourself, can I trust the Bible? Can I trust the Bible to give me truthful information? But let me quickly, again, I've done this before, but let me give you nine reasons to trust the Bible. I read this on several different websites and compiled some of these reasons. But let me just give you real quickly nine reasons why you can trust the Bible. First is its construction. It's a unique book. It's 66 books, actually. Some of them are long, some of them are short. It's written over 1,500 years. There's 40 different authors. And they had all kinds of professions. There were priests and prophets and princes and peasants and warriors and statesmen. There's uh, herdsmen and there's poets and you know politicians and physicians and fishermen and historians and lawyers and chroniclers and philosophers, orators, autocrats, exiles, rich, poor, evangelists, apostles. There's all kinds of authors. Parts of it are written to the Jews and parts of it to the Gentiles, meaning everybody else. It was written in three languages on at least five countries. I read one article that said that these books contain prose, poetry, prophecy, history, type, anatype, sign, symbol, miracle, parable, biography, philosophy, description, travel, exploration, legislation, invitation, exhortation, and denunciation. It includes argument. Commendation, indignation, prayers, blessings, curses. It has fierce invectives. It, it is impassioned with, with appeal. And, and yet it gives the coolest and the calmest logic. It's written in letters and hymns and pastorals and romance and tra tragedy and, and jubilee. And it's written in sermons and, and there's lyrics in there and proverbs and epigrams and ex axioms. There's all kinds of things. And yet, it seems to fit together without chaos. How can that be? It has one theme. There's a God who gives substance and purpose to all there is, and he wants to redeem mankind. This book has the most unique construction of any kind of any other kind of literature. And so you you can probably give it some thought. But you can trust it that because it, it's the most consistent standard through time. It's been used for godly revelation, for moral teaching for centuries. It's been proven so consistent, so trustworthy that others use its name to show authority and truth to their own work. The computer software Bible, the golf Bible, the crossword Bible. See, its standard has been very consistent. You can trust it because it's unstoppable in its existence. The Bible has persevered through the attempts of all kinds of evil leaders, evil kings, dictators, and whole societies who have, who have tried to abolish it, yet it remains the top-selling book of all time. You can trust it because it is brutally honest, even about its own heroes. Adam sinned, the first man. Moses murdered the man that, that God chose to deliver his people. David, the man after God's own heart, was an adulterer. Peter! Peter, the rock, was a denier of Christ. Paul, the, the, the most written about um, part of the New Testament. Paul was a hater of Christians. You see, the Bible's honest. You can trust it because its prophecies came true. There are 2,500 prophecies in the Bible. 2,000 have already come true. 500 are slated to happen in the future. You can trust it because it has changed millions of lives. It's provided life and hope and purpose to millions and millions of people living in the most horrific situations, having none of those things to lean on. 
You can trust it because people died for the most outrageous claim of this book. The resurrection and the appearance of Jesus Christ. People died without recounting that story and admitting they were liars. Many would die for something they believe was true, but no one dies for what they know is a lie. You can trust it because archaeology is proving it more and more. The Tell Dan Stelly, uh, Stelly, I think it's called Stelly, proves King David's um, existence. The Misha Stel, uh, also called the Moabite Stone, it records the revolt of Misha, the king of Moabite, uh, against Israel, just like the Bible says. The Nabonidus Cylinder proves that Belshazzar was king of Babylon, just like Daniel wrote. The ancient scroll of Isaiah was found, and it is 99% identical to what we have today. The ossuary of Caiaphas was found. It was dug up and discovered in its engravings that Caiaphas was the high priest at the time of Christ's death. The Pharaoh's stele tells of the ten plagues of Egypt, perfect perfectly mirroring the Exodus account of the Bible. The original city of David has been discovered, and it's, it's in Israel. The pool of Siloam has been found too. Nazareth ruins are visible for all to see. Peter's house is located. The foundation stones of the Tower of Babel and the stones of Jericho have been discovered. Look, archaeology is proving the Bible more and more every year. And finally, you can trust it because as you read it, as you read it, you will become more convinced that it is God's words and it is trustworthy. The more I read it, the more I see its truths being played out in creation all around me. The more I read it, the stronger my faith grows. The more I read it, the more I understand why people act the way they do. Look, you can absolutely trust the scriptures. And, and if, if, if that is the case, if that is the case, you can trust the scriptures when it says in Genesis 1-1 that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You can believe it. If the Bible teaches Trinitarian monotheism, you can believe it. If it teaches that the triune God created the universe and everything in it on purpose, you can believe it. Why, why is it essential? Why is it essential to identify these worldviews? of the people in your circles of influence? Why is it vital that you know what's in this book? Why is it important for you to know what you believe? Because you have to identify the worldview of other people in your circle of influence. you got to identify it. You'll have to connect the truth of the Bible to, to their beliefs in order to have conversations about the truth of the gospel. People are drowning in lies. And you need you need to lovingly, you need to humbly Throw them a line of truth. I know I've been talking a long time. Time to button your lip, fat boy. You're out of time. Well, okay. Well, come back next week. We're going to learn how the six worldviews uh, see philosophy. It's going to be deep, man. You want to come back for that. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that it is obvious. Help us to to put place our faith in your word and see what it says about you. Thank you for being real. Thank you for being the creator of all there is. I know because of that that I have purpose. There's a reason for me being here. And so that I, I can find joy in you because of those things. Thank you, Father. Bless everyone who's listening today in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. Come back next week. We'll have another teaching based on these worldviews, and it's going to be real interesting. But know today, if you're walking with God, you're chasing after God, chasing after His truth, He is very much pro you. Be blessed. 
Thanks for listening to the Portable Pastor Podcast. Pastor Mike serves as pastor at the First Baptist Church in Clover, South Carolina. FBC Clover is a church that focuses on loving God, loving people, and making disciples. For more information about our church and our ministries, or to make an online donation, go to fbcclover.com or email us at fbcclover at gmail.com. Until next time, be blessed. And remember, God is pro-you.